on the hill, and man, did Jesus meet us up there on the mountaintop. Woo! That was some good stuff. So we're in the book of Acts, and uh, it's interesting, just not that we're this intelligent that we could orchestrate it this way, but we keep landing on part, like, 14, and we happen to be in Acts chapter 14. Part 15 happened to be in Acts chapter 15. Today it's part 16. We're in Acts chapter 16. So I just want to say that we're not that smart. It just happened to land that way. And uh, the Holy Spirit just keeps helping us. Acts chapter 16. So in Acts chapter 14, if, you, if you're not up to speed, the book of Acts in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts, is the actions of the Holy Spirit through his first followers after Jesus rose from the dead. This book is relevant to us because the same Jesus, still risen from the dead, same Holy Spirit has not left the earth since Jesus rose from the dead. All the people we read about in the book of Acts have run their course, they are in heaven, and now the baton has been put in our hands. And so now this book is relevant to us because uh, we now are running the race. So everything we read in the book of Acts, you've got to apply to yourself. Pray the prayers, believe for the same promises, the same miracles, wherever you work or play or eat or sleep, wherever you go, you now are the book of Acts. So let's go to Acts chapter 16, and uh, we're going to jump in. Today I'm calling this breakthrough, because in Acts 16 we see a mighty breakthrough in the life of the Apostle Paul and Silas. Now, in the Acts chapter 14, I was talking about the spirit of being unstoppable. If you, haven't, uh, if you didn't hear that, get online. You can listen to all the sermons online. You can also give online, by the way, especially this summer as you travel around. Instead of having to write a physical check or whatever, you can get online and you can give as well. And you can listen to the messages online. In Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul just wouldn't quit. He would go in places and they would persecute him. They even stoned him to death. And he got risen from the dead by his one-day-year-old disciples, gathered him. He raises up. And he goes right back into the same town and continues to preach. He was unstoppable. And uh, because of that unstoppable spirit, now we see him in Acts chapter 16. And that unstoppable spirit that he has enables him to keep pressing through until he gets a breakthrough. You need to have the same unstoppable spirit. Well, actually, you do have the same unstoppable spirit. It is the spirit of Christ. In you. Will you say this with me? I can do all things. How many things? How many? I didn't come up with this. That's, that's, that's the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit writing this. The guy that got beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and persecuted and imprisoned. He's the one that wrote that. I can do. There's no victimization in that. It's not, it's not invited to the party. Paul never has a self-pity party. He says, I can do. Will you say that again? How many things? All things. How? Through Christ who strengthens me. You see, it's not human strength. That's not what Christianity is about. It's the strength of Jesus flowing through our personalities, our character, even our physical bodies. On a daily basis. So Paul was able to continue on because of Christ in him. In fact, he said this 
in another chapter, he said in the book of 1 Corinthians, I am what I am by the grace of God. Then he says this, but his grace to me was not empty or in vain or useless or purposeless. But I labored more than all the other apostles. I wouldn't have written that. I mean, even if it was true, but, you know, that's Paul. I've worked harder than all the other apostles. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. You have the same spirit, the same Savior, the same call to be the salt and light of the world and advance the gospel everywhere you go. You cannot allow anything or anybody stop you from doing the will of God in your life. So we see the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16, and let's let him be our example. Verse 1. Now, the breakthrough happens toward the end of the chapter. There's a whole bunch of great stuff that happens all the way through this chapter, building to a breakthrough. So what I can't do is expound on everything in this chapter because there's just too much good stuff. We could be here for the next month. So let me kind of go at a, a little quick clip through the chapter, land on a couple of things, and then kabam at the end, all right? Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Then he came to Derbe. Okay. Now, I have to preach on the first four words. He came to Derbe. This is the town he got stoned to death in. Isn't this incredible? This is really important, family of God. I said this in chapter 14. I've got to say it again. One of the best, one of the greatest favors Jesus ever gave to the Apostle Paul was when, the, the, as soon as Paul got saved, Jesus said, it was written, Jesus said to Ananias, when Paul, gosh, it's like, you can't just say one thing without putting it in context. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, says to a follower named Ananias, or Ananias, he said, Paul, or Saul, uh, is my chosen servant. And he said, no, no, not Saul. He's murdering Christians. He's a terrorist. What are you talking about, Jesus? And he said, I have shown him the things he must suffer for my name's sake. So when Paul started his ministry, or God's call for his life, he knew that suffering was part of the call. So it didn't throw him off balance when he got stoned to death. He's like, oh, well, I guess today's getting stoned to death. Tomorrow might be being whipped. The next day my best friend might betray me. It's all part of the Christian package. Isn't that a horrible message? Isn't that, aren't you glad you came this morning? Isn't that great? But Jesus said to us, in this world, you will have trials, tribulations, and suffering. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Just hang out with me. You're going to be all right. We need to understand this family of God or else we are just going to end up balled up in a corner, sucking our thumb and asking God why. And that doesn't help anybody. As my wife said in the little thing she posted on Facebook recently, the things I've learned through this cancer journey we've gone through. Isn't her hair just getting cute, by the way? Isn't that, look at that. I think that's sexy. One of the things she said was self, one of, the, one of her 15 things I've learned, self-pity... Uh, self-pity does not allow you to take personal responsibility. It keeps you stuck in your situation and annoys everyone around you. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. 
So he gets stoned to death in Derbe. He gets up, goes right back into Derbe, encourages the disciples. Then he goes back home to Antioch, takes a little reprieve, works out some theological issues with the church that Mark brilliantly preached on last week. Then he goes back on his second journey. And what's the first town he goes to? The town he got stoned to death in. Don't quit your job just because they don't treat you right. And there's not enough Christians there. When people come to me and say, will you pray for me that I get a job that's full of Christians? And I no, we'll never pray that prayer for you. Heaven's going to be full of Christians. You can wait till you get there. In the meantime, in the meantime, there are people that are lost and suffering and hurting. And God needs you in that place to be a light and salt and love. Okay, let's go on to the rest of the first sentence of this chapter. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. You know, when you... Okay, we're going to move on. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra in Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Okay, two things here. One, a good reputation will open opportunities for you. Timothy had a good reputation. He was a Christian with a good reputation. And so when Paul came into that town, and uh, they said, this young man right here, he's got a good reputation. Because he had a good reputation among the believers, the Apostle Paul chose him to travel with him. Two things. One, if Paul quit, we never would have met Timothy. We would not know anything about Timothy. He was one of the greatest pastors in the early church. He was the son of, uh, he was the son of faith for Paul. They had, the, they had the greatest father-son relationship in the entire New Testament. Secondly, if Timothy was walking with Jesus, and he ran into some trials, and then he threw in the towel, cast off restraint. The Bible says when, a, you, know, when you lose your vision, you cast off restraint. When you get frustrated, you're, you're, you're treated unjustly, and you get mad, and you just say, forget it, and you just cast off restraint, you begin to damage your witness. If Timothy did not have a good reputation, Paul never would have chose him. You've got to run your race well. Isn't it unfair that you can live righteously for 45, 50 years and you do one unrighteous thing that is known and all of a sudden that's what you're known for? That's just the way life is. It's not fair, but it's the way it is. We have got to live righteous lives until the day we see Jesus face to face. And as you do, he's going to be able to open up opportunities for you to take you to the next level like Timothy. And he circumcised them. This is interesting. In the last chapter, well, I'm sorry. Well, that's what it said. I got some grimaces, faces, people grimacing at me. Isn't it interesting that in the last chapter, Paul did not have Titus circumcised, but in chapter 16, he circumcised Timothy. Like, what's that about? Well, it's a completely different motivation. In Acts chapter 15, some legalists, that is, those who were saying that you have to jump through all these hoops and, and follow all these rules to be a Christian, including being circumcised, which is the big one, because they've got to be circumcised, which means that you belong to uh, the faith of Moses and the Old Covenant, 
And all these new believers are getting born again, and these legalistic Judaizers are coming down and saying, you must be circumcised. So Paul, bringing Titus with him, who was Greek and was not circumcised, would not circumcise Titus to prove a point. But in Acts chapter 16, he finds this Jewish disciple, well, his dad was Greek and his mom was Jewish, and he gets him, and he's not circumcised because his dad was Greek. And then Paul has Timothy circumcised. Like, what, what was that? It looks like double-mindedness. It looks like hypocrisy. No. Because the purpose of him circumcised Timothy was so that Paul could have favor with the people he was trying to save. It was, it was to make sure that he did not put up stumbling blocks that would shut people down from hearing what Paul had to say. Does that make sense to you? Um, I remember when I was uh, a youth pastor, and I loved wearing jeans. I'd wear shorts, jeans when I preached, T-shirts. I was a youth pastor for about 10 years. And then they were going to ordain me, and I was going to be an associate pastor in the church. And I was going to be preaching to the adult congregation. And so when they ordained me, they said, now you need to wear a suit and a tie. And that made me so mad. I thought, you people got a religious spirit. I was, so, I was so irritated. And so I was in prayer and I was saying, Lord, they are so immature that they can't receive from me unless I'm wearing a suit. And the Lord spoke back to me and said, no, you're immature because you're demanding your own rights in your own way. Rather than your focus being on them being able to receive the word of God from you, you're focusing on what you're allowed to wear. Dang. I think I won't ask you any more questions for a while, right? <laughs> that was a huge lesson for me, especially now that I've gone to multiple countries and going into different cultural situations. The point is not our own rights in our own way. The point is what will give me the greatest opportunity to influence somebody for Christ. So the way I like to say this is this. If, you're val- if you value your rights over influencing people for the gospel, you will bear very little fruit for Christ. So let's jump down to verse 6 and 7. Let's move on. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia, the region of Galatia, where they were forbid- forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in-, in Asia, and they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. That did not take a rocket scientist to figure that one out, did it? Where God wanted them to go. But this is really interesting. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. That's the command of Christ, right? But here Paul is obeying that command, and yet the Holy Spirit says, don't go into that city. What? That sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. And the Holy Spirit says, don't go into that city. Don't go into that city. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus gives us commands, but the Holy Spirit tells us who, when, how to go in God's name. Not everybody's ready to hear the message. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you in the 
specifics of how to obey him. Now, it's a little harder that way because you can't just look at a list of things you're supposed to do and just go do them. You actually have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And this, this can seem frustrating, but here's what I've learned. A couple of things about, about this. Number one is, when you are fully devoted and sold out to Jesus Christ, it's a lot easier to know what he wants you to do. It's a lot easier to hear his voice. You just pray and obey. And here's uh, one of the ways you know you're totally sold out. If you're willing to hear no as much as you're willing to hear yes, you'll be able to hear the Lord a lot clearer. (laughs) But then there are times when I really don't know what God wants me to do. You know, what job am I to take? Who am I to marry? Which was a question a long time ago, and thank God I got that one right. Um. What ministry you want me to be involved in? What city you want me to live in? I mean, there's a lot of questions in life, aren't there? A lot of specific questions that the Bible doesn't say specifically what you're supposed to do. And sometimes I don't have a clear leading from the Holy Spirit on what to do. And so you kind of feel, you feel paralyzed, don't you? Because you don't want to miss the will of God. You don't want to make a wrong decision. And some of them are big decisions, so you just kind of get frozen. So then you're doing nothing. And there's, I believe there's a lot of followers of Christ that have tender hearts and they're sensitive and want to do the will of God, don't want to miss his will. And so you get frozen and paralyzed and you're not doing anything for God. And I'm going to tell you, he can't steer a parked car. Many times we're waiting on God when he's waiting on us. And that's what happened with Paul and Silas. We'll see in a minute. So what do you do in that situation? I lean on a scripture I've leaned on for years and years. Now that I've walked with the Lord for over 30 some years, this scripture has really saved me. Proverbs 16.9 says this, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So when I don't know exactly what the Lord wants me to do, sometimes he just wants you to make a decision. Do you realize that? Do you realize that? When you've walked with the Lord long enough, you should have the wisdom of God. You should have the, a certain degree of learning how to be led by the Spirit. You should have the, the Word of God, Scriptures, the knowledge of God, knowing who He is, knowing right from wrong. And so many times, the Lord just wants you to make a decision. And that kind of freaks us out, right? But look, it would be like this. How many of you have, uh, say, anywhere, a, a kid between the ages of three and five? Raise your hand. Okay, do you let them dress themselves? Okay, and, it, and it's the disaster, right? Yeah. Or, wives, have you ever let your husband dress your kid? That's even worse of a disaster, isn't it? Oh, yeah, there are so many times I've dressed the kids, you know, and like Sam will come out or somebody, one of the kids will come out and she'll say, oh, no, that, that's not happening. I'm like, what? It's blue and blue. Yeah, but those blues don't go together. I'm like, what? I just don't get it. And so she has to redress them. How about from the ages of, you know, 6 to 10? You have kids with ages about 6 to 10? but. Uh, Anybody? Okay, you, they, you, they can start choosing, but you got to help them out a little bit, right? Uh, and then you get into the ages of like maybe uh, 13 to 18, and they don't want your help so much anymore, but you still have to help, don't you? Right? Uh-huh, the shorts are a little bit too short. You're not going to have 14 pierces in your ears, right? I mean, they need a little bit of guidance, a little bit of guidance on how to grow. But if your daughter or your son was 25 years old, graduated from college, 
calling you up on the phone every day, asking you what they should wear, what would you think? You did something seriously wrong in your parenting for them to be that insecure and underdeveloped and be able to make life choices. I believe that as we grow up in God and we have his mind and his heart, he gives us the freedom to make choices between good and good. And if you make a decision that he knows won't be the best decision for you, he directs your steps. He'll close doors and he'll open doors as you're going. And this is exactly what happened with Paul and Silas. So they're trying to obey the gospel and they're going into Asia to preach the word, which is the, the, the uh, general word of God. And the Holy Spirit says, no, they're going into another city, Mysia. The Holy Spirit says, no. And Paul's like, well, gosh, I don't know what you want me to do. I know you want me to preach the gospel. I just don't know where you want me to go. So the Lord then gives him a dream. So that's a very clear direction from the Holy Spirit on how to fulfill the will of God. They're like, woo! Wakes up, Silas, I had a dream last night. I know where we're going. Woo, let's go. And so they're headed now up to Troas, and they run a straight course to Samothrace, and then they come to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and they stayed there for many days. This city is much like San Diego. It's very close uh, to, the, uh, to the ocean. It's prosperous. It's, um, it's a, metro, a metropolis. It's a business Route, that's a lot of entertainment and prosperity. It's a very difficult place to stay focused and following Christ because there's so many distractions and so many opportunities. And they land right here in this epicenter, in this principal city. So they didn't know where to go. They didn't know who this guy was in this dream. It was just a guy. It wasn't like, and I'm not going to teach on dreams and visions today, but that's a great subject to teach on and how to discern dreams and visions and what they mean. But in Acts chapter 10, he has a dream or a visitation, a vision. Uh, Peter did a vision. No, Cornelius did a vision from an angel. And he tells him specifics. Go to this town, to this man's house, and the guy staying there named Peter. And I want you to ask him to come down and give you a message. Now, that's pretty specific stuff. Addresses, names, people, and what to do. That's pretty easy to follow. And this one, this guy from Macedonia, is just a guy. I mean, what am I supposed to do with that other than just head that direction? Sometimes that's all God gives you. Even through a divine, supernatural direction like a dream, all you get is we got to go that way. And, I mean, they're probably looking for the guy but the guy probably isn't an actual guy. He's probably just representing a region that God wants to send them to. And this is interesting. Many times we don't know the need we have. Many times a region doesn't know they need the gospel. They don't know that's the answer. But God knows they need the gospel. That's all Paul has to offer is the gospel. And so the Holy Spirit produces this dream of a guy representing a region saying, come help us. And so Paul knows we got to go that direction. So they just start heading that direction. And because they are staying in the mix and they're staying mobilized, activity can take place. 
You've got to stay mobilized at work, stay mobilized in your family, stay mobilized in your school. Just keep being the salt and the light. You never know what's going to happen, but you've got to stay active. And as they're going forward, look what happens in Acts chapter 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. They're just like, they're just like going. They're just outside meeting people, don't really know what to do, where to go, who to meet. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. And a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. She wasn't a Christian. She just worshipped God. Look at this next beautiful phrase. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Paul and Silas were just going where they thought God wanted them to go, and they weren't just talking weather. Remember how I said that the region needed help. There is no greater help you are ever going to give a human being on this side of heaven than the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for your sins. Your sins separate you from God. God loves you so much, he sent his son to die for your sins. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And if you receive him as your savior today, he will cleanse you of your sins. He will fill you with his spirit. And one day when you die, you will go to be with God forever in heaven. Jesus is the only way. That's the gospel message. It's not difficult. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need to go through some kind of course to know the gospel. It's so simple because God wants us to be able to communicate that message to every person on the planet. And the Lord is the one who opens the hearts for people to believe it. It is not your and my job to convince anybody about the gospel. It is our job simply to give the simple message. And then the Lord opens people's hearts to believe the message. I love that part. I love that truth because it makes it so easy for me. Here's what I truly believe. I've come to believe this. I believe people can get saved on one of the worst sermons. I believe people can get helped if you just try to counsel them in the counsel of God and it just kind of like you fumble and you don't quote scriptures quite right and it just, but you do the best you can. I believe people, I believe God can help anybody with a mediocre attempt at sharing the gospel and giving godly counsel i really believe this i believe it has much less to do with the delivery of the message as it has to do with the condition of the receiver's heart you just have to be on you have to be available you have to be about god's will so here's paul and silas and they're just sitting down talking to this lady, you never know who you're going to influence. There's nothing more said about the lady that the Apostle Paul is preaching the gospel to. And notice this. He wasn't just sitting down and talking about the weather. I remember when I went to uh, India for the first time with Stephanie. And uh, we go into this village, and I told the, the uh, well, I went into this village, and I got... Um, a guy from the Mete tribe on this side, and then a guy from the, um, what was the other, the what? The Naga tribe. These two tribes were at war with one another. 
But these two guys got saved, so now they're working for the gospel together. Isn't that cool? So I got these two guys, one from each tribe, and we're going into these villages. One is a guide telling us what village to go into. The other guy's the interpreter. So we go into this first village. And they go in there, and they introduce themselves. I don't know what they're saying. They're talking and, and all this. And then they weren't quite interested in what we had to say, and so then we left. Then we went to the next village, and the same thing, and they weren't really quite interested, and so we left. And I said to them, I said, what are you saying when we go in there? And they said, oh, we're saying that there's an American who has come to India because he would like to learn about our culture. I said, that's not why I'm here. Now, that's not socially polite, right? But I said, tell them, the next village we go into, tell them there's an American here who's coming in the name of Jesus to heal the sick. And they said, we can't, we can't say that. I said, why not? And we're standing out on the dirt road for like 10 minutes arguing about what, I'm, what they're supposed to say when we go to the next village. Because they were not trained in a theology of miracles, signs, and wonders. They had never seen it. They'd never heard of it. And they certainly weren't going to go tell somebody that you're going to get healed today. And we argued. And I said, look, I did not come all the way from America to spend 10 days here in India to tell people I want to hear about their culture. I'm sorry. That's not why I'm here. I want to heal the sick so they can get saved. And I mean, we argued for like 10 minutes. And finally they said, okay, we'll do it. So we go to the next village. And they said something. And all of a sudden this lady looks up at me. And she goes like this. And she points to her back. Because they do a lot of labor and a lot of the women have back issues. And so I came over, I laid hands on her. She stood up, completely healed. She goes inside and gets her friend. The friend comes out, laid hands on her, got healed. And then the, the rest of the village starts coming around. And we're praying over people. They're all getting healed. The whole village gets saved. These two guys are freaking out. It was so awesome. We go to the next village. And I said, what are you going to say? They go to the next village. And say, oh, we know what we're going to say. And so in the next village... The next village, when, when we said, you know, the same thing, that there's an American here to pray for you to be healed, and they, they said, okay, she's ready. I said, no, you guys do it. They're like, what? I said, yeah, you're believers too. Lay hands on her. They're like, they did not know how to do it. I said, it's so simple. You take your paddle, and you put it on her body, and then you pray in the name of Jesus. And then Jesus heals her. <laughs> That's not complicated, is it? And they did it. They laid hands on her. She got healed. It was so awesome. I remember we were riding our bikes and we sat down in this Buddhist temple on the steps just to eat our packed lunch before we go to the next village. And some guy comes racing on his bicycle and he finds us and he's talking to them and he says, I've been going from village to village to village to try to find the healers. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Our reputation was following us through these villages. And he said, I need prayer. So we prayed for him, and he got healed. And uh, I think it was like over 800 Hindus came to Christ that week. It was just awesome. But I, I got back to my hotel room, and I felt like the Luke in the book of Acts, or John, where he said, if all the miracles Jesus did were recorded, the volumes of the world could not hold them. And I'd get back to my hotel room every night, and I would go to try to journal, and I could not remember all the healings and salvations that took place in one day. Isn't that awesome? I didn't go there to talk about the weather or about their food or about their culture. I came to bring the kingdom. Paul didn't sit down with the lady in Thyatira to talk about the weather. He was talking about salvation through Jesus. And there's a woman over here named Lydia 
who was in earshot, who heard the conversation. Now, if he was talking about the weather, because he was concerned about offending somebody in that town, Lydia never would have heard the gospel. You cannot be intimidated or afraid about people hearing you talk about Jesus where you work and play and live. You are the ambassador of Christ everywhere you go. You've got to just talk about the gospel because our world is going to hell. And Jesus has given us the privilege and responsibility to give the only message under heaven whereby people can be saved. I remember John Maxwell, who's an amazing global leader now in the body of Christ. He used to be a little country pastor. And he said that a guy in his church got sick, a farmer. So he goes, he said, I went down to the, his house every day while he was dying on his deathbed. And they moved him to the hospice. And so he would go there every day and spend time with them every day. And finally, the guy died. And John says, I saw him every day. And I never shared the gospel with him. Because I was afraid. It changed John's life forever. He came here to San Diego. There was a thousand member church out in East County. He took the leadership. It became 3,000. Now it's five six seven thousand jim garlow has it out in east county um a skyline wesleyan and john's gone on to be a global leader and training leaders and stuff but he never forgot about that man he was afraid to share the gospel with paul and silas were on the same assignment you and i are and they get to, went to that city don't know anybody they thought let's just start talking to somebody about the gospel somebody overhears them and let's see what happens and when she and her household and says, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to hear the things spoken by Paul. You never know whose heart God's going to open. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, well, if you judge me faithful, stay at my house. So they persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her master much profit by fortune telling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaimed us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. You would think, well, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. When you're going into certain situations, like I've said to you, preach the gospel wherever you go. Now, you know that that's the general command. But when you're sitting with Uncle Fred, the atheist, who does not want to hear the gospel from you ever again, or he'll punch you in the nose... It's probably not a good idea to bring up that conversation at the Thanksgiving dinner table, right? 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 Or with your spouse, who's already heard it from you a thousand times, or to your kids, or to your neighbor, or to your boss, right? That's where the Holy Spirit's leadership comes in. You've got to be ready to share the gospel, but you've got to do it wisely based on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And don't, and don't, don't call fear the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Right? You've got to be green light on and then let the Holy Spirit guide and direct on who you share and when you share. And so, and so Paul is going into this new city and he's wanting to bring the gospel and you've got to be savvy about it. You've got to know when to share, who to share with, looking for a man or a woman of peace who's going to open the city like, like meeting Lydia here and, and, uh, so when you have somebody walking around with you in a town screaming out, there's a man from America coming to India to bring the gospel to us. I mean, even if that was a good message, 
if she's doing it all day long, every day, following you around, even if it was a good message, you have to end up like the Apostle Paul here. I love this. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, verse 18. And this she did for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. I love that. He turned to the Spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And she came out that very hour. Paul's like, God, done with that. Moving on. Well, the only problem was, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. The multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates tore their clothes, commanding them to be beaten with rods. A couple of things there very quickly because I'm running out of time. These guys are running into demonic powers all the time. Acts chapter 13, you know, the, the sorcerer on the island. And then Acts chapter um, 6 or 14, they run into the Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. I mean, they're running into the demonic powers everywhere they go. You and I do too. A lot of times we just don't recognize them. Many times we're dealing with spirits. And spiritism has gotten very popular in the United States. You've got soothsayers and mediums and and, and uh, people talk from the dead. you got TV shows. you got courses in college and high school on witchcraft. and These things are real. And, and here's the truth about them. And if you have ever been involved in those stuff, you need to ask Jesus to forgive you because you've opened yourself up to evil spirits. I remember one time I was sitting having lunch with my secretary, wanted her, me to meet her boyfriend. We're sitting in Black Angus over there by the sports arena, and my office is right down the walkway. And so we're having a quick lunch. And uh, he's telling me he's a scientist. He doesn't believe in anything that's not, that you can't see, feel, taste, you know, see in a, uh, and control in a, in a lab. And as he's telling me this, he's also telling me that he's a Stephen King fanatic. He's read all Stephen King's books and watched all of his movies. I'm just eating my primary, minding my own business. And I said, well, you've opened yourself up to demonic spirits. And I just said it kind of nonchalantly. And, and it was kind of silent. And then I looked up, and he was gripping the table like this. And his, his knuckles were turning white. And... I looked at him, and he's looking at me like this, and I went, oh, no. <laughs> and, his, and his girlfriend, just, his name is John. John, John, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And she's like grabbing his arm. I'm like, oh, gosh, seriously, can I finish my steak? I paid $14.99 for this thing. Don't manifest now. <laughs> so I said, all right. I said, so I went to grab his wrist. I said, let's, let's go outside, you know. Like my bar days, you know, let's take this outside, right? So now you're done with demons. Okay, let's take this outside. He grabbed my wrist like that and about shattered it. And I realized, man, I am really dealing with a demonic power. Right here in San Diego at Black Angus. Look, people, listen. It's a multi-billion dollar industry to know what our future holds. Don't do it. The Bible forbids any activity with, with tarot cards, soothsaying, mediums, talking to the dead, whatever they're called, or astrology. The stars are to glorify God. The plan of salvation is actually written in the stars. That's how Job knew the plan of salvation was through the stars. The stars are not about us. They're about him. Right? But we make everything about us. That's humanism. That's new age, which is really old age regurgitated. Started in the Garden of Eden. 
And so, why? Because these that we're curious, we want to know, we are curious about our future. The Bible says God's put eternity in the hearts of man. We want to know what our future holds. All you got to know is who holds your future. As long as you know him and trust him, Jesus said, tomorrow's got its own troubles. Just focus on today and walk with me. You don't need to be looking at the stars trying to figure out your future. Besides that, the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. The things that are necessary for you. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come. You say, well, how can these people be accurate? Because I know I went to the, the, the fortune teller and they told me things were accurate. Because they're dealing with demonic spirits who know things. I mean, it's simple. If you believe in the spirit realm, it's just simple. And when you go there and you subject your life to this person and you submit to their authority, you open the door to demonic activity. It's not a joke. It's real stuff. So, um, and that's the way Satan lures us in and then he traps you. And so I said, all right, we got to go. So I commanded in the name of Jesus lead black angus and we're walking down we're walking down the sidewalk and trying to get to my office and all of a sudden my office was right next to the movie theater down there by the sports arena and the movies let out now they were probably watching a horror movie in there but that's just a movie right i've got one right here real life on the sidewalk and all of a sudden this crowd of people flowing past us and i turn and look at him and all of a sudden he's foaming at the mouth i mean the whole deal man he's manifesting right there i'm like oh my gosh so I had to look at him right in the eye and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you've got to know who you are in a moment like that. You've got to know that it's not about John. It's not about personality. It's not about theology. It's about the power in the name of Jesus, authority over all demonic powers. You've got to know you're in Christ in a moment like that. I said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you come out of him. And he would stop. And we'd walk a little bit. He didn't come out. He just shut up. And then he would start doing it again. And so finally I got him into my office cast the demon out, led him to the Lord, and then he said to me, he said, I'm a scientist. I, I didn't believe in that stuff. He said, but there was like a hole inside of me, and something inside of me was trying to suck me through it. And I knew if he sucked me through it, I would never come back again. And every time you use the name of Jesus, it would let go of me. Unfortunately, he didn't follow through. And Jesus said, if you don't fill up the house with the Holy Spirit, seven worse will come back. And that's what happened to that young man. Terrible. This is real stuff. They run into it all the time. And so do we. That's why you can't mess with those things. And don't let your children mess with them either. So, so here they are getting beat up again for the gospel. verse 22, and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanded the jailer to keep them secure. Having received a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Ever felt like you just did the will of God and you end up in prison? You feel imprisoned, unjustly treated, persecuted, mishandled, defamed, lied about, misunderstood. So did Jesus, so did Paul, so did Peter, so did David, so did Joseph. Part of it. The first thing my wife wrote on her 15 points was, 
Sometimes life's not fair. Realize it and get over it. I'm just going to quote Jesus, then you, and then Jesus, then you. I'm just going to so close. Sometimes I get confused. Like, who said that? My wife or Jesus? Hope chapter 13. It's a really good list. In fact, I'm going to show you her list. You ready for this? Why don't you put her list up here real quick? This is a great list. Hey, you go, you go through cancer and you come out with this kind of list, you know that you decided that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look at this list. Accept that often life isn't fair and then get over it. Number two, very little of what I have allowed to be a big deal in life was actually a big deal. Three, life is too precious and short to be negative or to give time to negative situations and people. Well, you've got to, you're stuck with me. Number four, I need to pick the, my battles better, especially with my kids, which is C number two, which is the big deals aren't really a big deal. Next, in hard times, you will come face to face with the best and the worst of yourself, and you must choose every day which one you're going to hang out with. Next, my worth is not defined in my hair, breasts, or a number on a scale. Behind every problem lies a gift or opportunity if you look for it. I, I need people. God's provision flows to me through others, and when I don't accept their help and love, I cheat myself. Imagine what you could accomplish in life if you didn't care about the opinions of others. Living victoriously is first and primarily an internal posture regardless of my personal circumstances. Focus and give energy to the things you actually have control or influence over. Pray about the rest and release them to God. The mercy I extend to someone today is the mercy I will need back from someone else tomorrow. Self-pity prevents you from taking personal responsibility, keeps you stuck in the problem, and annoys everyone around you. The good thing about hard times is they are the one place character and endurance are developed. What lies behind us, this is the last one. And what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. And that's not her. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. I've been trying to get her to preach for 20 years. I'm going to do it until she stands up. Then I can retire. I, I put that out there not just keep bragging on my wife, though. She's one of my greatest heroes. It's because that's called worshiping God in the midst of suffering. If you don't do that, you're going to just be a whiner. There's really, there's no, uh, there's no other choice available. I'm going to worship or I'm going to whine. One's your flesh, the other is your spirit that's connected to the living God. And it's a choice. And I'm preaching to myself too, because she'll tell you. I'm like Clark Kent. I mean, I can be just unpleasant. And she'll say, you need to go pray. That's like Clark Kent, if you remember years ago. He would go into a telephone booth. Well, that would be my prayer. And then I come out like Superman. I come out like Jesus. It's amazing, you know. The difference is absolutely unbelievable when she makes me go pray. And then I come back out, and she's like, yeah, all that. I get all that. She didn't want that other man. Neither do my kids. I don't like him either. It's about transformation. You've got to get on your knees and just worship. And that's what Paul and Silas did. It says this. It says in verse 21, and having received such a charge, he put them into their inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. What's the next verse? But, everybody say it out loud. Okay, give me my PowerPoint slide. It's powerful. And when it comes up, just shout it out loud. Ready? 
See that? That's where your butt goes. That's where your butt goes. I can't put your butt there. Your spouse can't put your butt there. Your boss can't put your butt there. Jesus can't put your butt there. In your place of darkness, you got to put your butt there. Your butt's there. You got to put your other butt there. What is your other butt? You have got to choose to praise in the darkness. That's called, I'm going to men's camp, men's camp, and I've got to get my PowerPoint into the tech team, and my wife's not home to proof. That's what that is. But guess what? And he didn't even go to men's camp. But look at him. He's still stepping up. But this is serious stuff. All of us have darkness. All of us have trials. All of us have hard times. All of us have difficult seasons in our marriages. All of us have promises from God that don't look like they're going to come to pass. All of us. And you've got to choose whether you're going to be a victim, which makes you worthless to everybody, including Jesus and the kingdom of God, which is what this is all about. Or you decide, I can do all things through Christ who is strengthening me. And I am going to praise my way out of this prison. It's not a one-time thing. And because they chose to praise in the midst of this unfair, unjust, just fallen. You gave me a vision to come here and preach the gospel. I didn't even choose to come here. You told me to come here. And all I did was cast a demon out of someone which you told me to go Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, and say the kingdom of God has come. I'm just doing your will, oh God. And I'm, my back's bleeding. And I'm in prison. I want to call my mama. That's what I would do. Look at what they did. Midnight, they choose to start singing about God's greatness and goodness and love. Woo! Oh, that's craziness. And most of you know the rest of the story. The earthquake, the prison shakes. Their shackles come off. The door opens up by itself. And listen to this. Kathy was praying this in pre-service prayer. That when you get liberated, those around you get liberated. The shackles came off all the prisoners and all the prison doors opened up. Woo! Come on now. Come on now. Now listen. What if they decided to sit in that prison and whine and complain and say, why God, all night long? I do not believe there would be an earthquake and I do not believe the Philippian church would be birthed is what happened in that moment. was the jailer got saved. His whole family got saved. Lydia, who they met at the river became a leader in the church, and the Philippian church became one of the most powerful churches in church history. 
and Thyatira, the town they went to, Derby and Thyatira. Thyatira is one of the seven churches that Jesus wrote a letter to in the book of Revelation. All that came out of them deciding, I'm just going to follow the will of God. I don't really know where I'm going, but he said, go this direction. I'm going to see what happens, and I'm not going to complain and whine and fuss. I'm just going to keep going forward. When bad things happen to me, I'm just going to go vertical and praise God anyway. And God said, oh, I'd like that. And he shook the prison. Everybody gets to say it. I bet so many of those prisoners became members of the churches, the church, and the Philippian church was birthed. So what are you spreading around? Is it your negative attitude? The victimized? Where's God? That's passing on to those around you and to your children. One of my greatest convictions right now is, hon, we've got to walk through this well because our kids are watching us. They're being shaped by our behavior right now. You guys are watching us. The principles I'm in relationship are watching me go through this as a Christian. I care too much about my witness to quit. And I thank God for those around me who have scraped me off the pavement four or five hundred times in the last year. Thank God I have friends. That, that love me. But deep down on the inside, I know I can't just preach this stuff. i got to live it. And so do you. But I can't praise in your darkness. You have to praise in your darkness. And if you will, I know God will come through for you. Let's pray. It seems like every message I preach out of the book of Acts, we're coming against the victimized spirit of victimization and self-pity but the book of acts is all about persecution and and doing the will of god they seem to go hand in hand maybe the first thing my wife one of the first things my wife wrote up there about not giving self-pity because it removes you from personal responsibility keeps you stuck in the problem and annoys everyone around you maybe that's for you this morning maybe you've got to trade in that self-pity for faith in god takes courage but you've got christ in you it's full of courage for you think about all the people that you're influencing by your behavior your attitude here's i think something from the holy spirit for someone as you're staying locked in with the holy spirit if i say something and it's a zinger for you then take it while you are navel-gazing and, and self-focused, the Lord can't use you. Every day there are people that you brush up against that need the gospel. And they don't get it because you're self-absorbed. Are you going to spend the rest of your days self-absorbed and you're suffering in trial? Or are you going to lift your head, trust that Christ is going to strengthen you, and be a light for God? Think about how this chapter started. Timothy's mom was a believer. His dad was not. Timothy's grandma was a believer. And when Paul writes a letter to Timothy later in 1 Timothy, he said, The faith 
that was in your grandmother and was in your mother is now in you. What if grandma or mom threw the towel in? Faith wouldn't have been transferred to Timothy. Timothy never would have met Paul, and Timothy never would have been the great apostle. What are you transferring? Lord, I pray for strength in this house. Lord, I pray for those who've just been getting sucked under by their trial that today they will draw a line in the sand and say, no matter what comes, I'm going to stand for Christ. I'm going to be used by God to encourage others and speak life and show my faith in God. do this. I'm going to close with this. Joshua is going to lead us in a song because this is about praising in your darkness. Praise is one of the greatest warfare weapons of warfare we have. This Saturday night, we're going to do a, a two and a half hour praise gathering, regional praise gathering right here. This, Saturday, this coming Saturday night right here. I want to ask every one of you to come. Let's come and praise until there's a breakthrough. Maybe it's a breakthrough inside, internally. Maybe a breakthrough externally. You don't know what's going to happen. One time my wife was bedridden for five months with, with, uh, was it with Isabella. She had, you know, she was pregnant and she got just bedridden. And she was just, I mean, I'm running, I'm, I'm doing it all. And I woke up on a Sunday morning. I wanted to pray before I came to preach to you. And the Lord said, praise me. Like, okay, all right, I praise you. And he said, dance. It's like, oh, this is ridiculous. So I start dancing around the bedroom by myself in the side bedroom. My dog's in there just watching me like, what are you doing? I'm dancing around, praising God. I'm doing a whisper so I'm waking, you know, Elliot up. I praise you, God. I praise you, God. And he said, now declare Baal Perazim. Baal Perazim was a name of God in the Old Testament, which means the God of the breakthrough. I say, Baal Perazim, Baal Perazim. My brain's going, this is so stupid. What are you doing? This is ridiculous. This is going to do nothing. You know, my dog was thinking the same thing. I'm going, praise, I praise you, I praise you, I prep. And right there, something broke. I didn't know what it was. I thought, wow. I walked back into my wife's, our bedroom, and my wife was sitting up in bed completely healed. Isn't that amazing? you got to praise in the darkness. Why don't we all stand? Let's, let's begin to praise. And, and uh, then Saturday night, come back Saturday night. And let's break open a spirit of praise in this house. Let's let God do some breakthroughs in our lives. Come on, let's put our hands together, yeah. Every blessing you pour
you this Saturday. Doors open at 7. Our regional worship night. It's going to be powerful. So please make it out and bring somebody. Come on now.